0: Please turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15. This week we are continuing our study on the prodigal son. So you might be, you might be here today thinking, well, man, I, I thought we were going to have a sermon about the resurrection. The good news is at Community Bible Church, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. He is risen this week. He is risen next week. He is risen for eternity. Amen? I don't know what you think about when you think about the cross. I don't know what comes to your mind. I don't, I don't know what, what feelings roll well up in your heart. I don't know if you've thought about that this week. But as I've been thinking about the cross this week, I've been thinking about one thing, and, and that is just... The, the cross doesn't allow... For any sense of self-sufficiency. The cross doesn't allow for any sense of, of self-righteousness. The, the, the cross doesn't allow for, for us to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and, and somehow find a way to, to make ourselves right with God. Apart. From Christ's work on the cross, we are hopeless. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking like kind of hopeless. I'm not talking about you know we're we're like kind of like Lloyd Christmas and Dumb and Dumber and we're and we're and we're gazing upon Miss Swanson and saying like you know she's saying the chance that he would ever date her would be one in a million and, and he bubbles up so you're saying there's a chance I'm not talking even one in a million type of chance here I'm talking we are without any hope it's over apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. To praise God that He came. He took on flesh. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He fulfilled every requirement of the law for us that we couldn't do. Everyone. He was without sin, second person of the Trinity, putting on flesh, dwelling among man, fulfilling the law. But yet, coming and offering himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That means that he fully paid the penalty for the sin that you and I deserve. You and I deserve, we deserve nothing but the wrath of God for all of eternity. Apart from Christ, we are God-haters and we are self-lovers. We're not neutral with God. We are his enemies. But Christ came. And he satisfied the wrath of God. He paid the penalty of our sin for us on the cross. He hung there for hours upon hours, bearing the weight of our sin. Sins such as lying. Sins such as hate and anger. Sins such as idolatry such as adultery, murder, and the like. There's not one type of sin that Christ did not pay for on that cross. It's paid in full if you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And the good news is, as he died on that cross and they put him in the grave, dear friends, what we celebrate today and what we celebrate every single day, not just Sunday, but every single minute of every single hour of every single day, we should be celebrating the fact of this, that Christ rose from the grave. He defeated death once and for all. He defeated the penalty of sin once and for all. It's over. If you are in Christ Jesus. But yet, even as we come and we, as I'm speaking to mainly God's people here today, those of us who are in, in Community Bible Church. Even though we, we come and we, we celebrate that Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday and Tuesdays and Thursdays and this and that, whatever. We celebrate the fact that Christ has risen from the grave and paid the penalty of our sins. And we, we, we verbally acknowledge that we, there's no righteousness in us apart from Christ Jesus and that we are saved only because of his grace through no effort of our own. There still comes a point where we tend to struggle with, with self-righteousness. Don't we? I've, I've been preparing this sermon for, the, for, for a few weeks now and I, and I just can't help but zero in even throughout the whole gospel of Luke so far. that just, There tends to be one sin that, that Christ tends to battle with the most and, and hate the most. And that is self-righteousness. Those who think that they are good in and of themselves. Yes, they're heavy laden with sin and they're, they're hypocritical, but, but they think they're good. They put on this outward-looking facade of righteousness, but inside they are wicked. They are God-haters. They don't truly care about being made right with God. They want man to look at them and think, wow, what a good guy. Here's the truth. Our Lord God hates self-righteousness. And last week as we studied the prodigal son, we, we, we saw this story that we all celebrate of, 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 of a son who, who straight up just left his father. He, he disrespected his father, dishonored his father, and he, and he went out of, of, with a life of just complete sin, complete hatred for his father, complete hatred for his family. He took money from the family and he, and he went off and he, and he just squandered it all away. And his life just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. His father knew about it. The community knew about it. His sons, the whole family, they knew about it. He really hurt that family. He was a sinner. It was so obvious. We look at this guy. There was nothing good about this younger son. Nothing. Nothing at all. But yet this son, ultimately, he comes to his senses, doesn't he? And he comes back and he and he comes to his father. His father forgives him and his father throws this giant party and things are made right between the father and the son and the family. That is the heart of God for wicked sinners who repent and trust in Christ. There's a party in heaven. As Matt preached about a few weeks ago in, in, in the parables, God celebrates when sinners come to him. But yet we're met with the other brother, the self-righteous brother this morning. This self-righteous brother that often resembles you and often resembles me. But there's good news, friends. My main point this morning is this, that God shows kindness and grace to self-righteous hypocrites. As much as God hates sin, as much as God hates self-righteousness, there's good news for self-righteous people like you and me, and like this older brother, that God shows kindness and grace to self-righteous hypocrites. So if you have your Bible, please turn in the book of Luke. Luke 15. I will read the whole parable, starting in verse 11 through... Oh, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Oh, and put a ring on his hand oh, and, and, and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. This is where we continue this week, friends. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, oh, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you gave me a young goat that I might celeb- yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Oh, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Just how nasty is self-righteousness? Church, let's take a look at that this morning. Point one. Self-righteous people refuse to celebrate what God celebrates. Point one, self-righteous people like you and me at times refuse to celebrate what God celebrates. We we pick up in verse 25 this morning, and and I must say this from, from the outset, the prodigal son, the main point of Jesus telling this story is the second half of the story. He, remember, he's, he is speaking this parable uh, to the Pharisees, these self-righteous Pharisees. These self-righteous Pharisees who at the beginning of chapter 15 were grumbling and grumbling and angry because Jesus embraced sinners. He embraced tax collectors. He embraced prostitutes. He en- he embraced the most wretched people in the entire city. There he was. He was embracing them. He was having a good dinner. He was having a good time. He was laughing. He wasn't any killjoy. Jesus was a joyful, loving, gracious, merciful, hospitable, sinner-pursuing Savior. That's who he was. And the self-righteous, hypocritical, wretched, outwardly-looking, clean Pharisees hated every bit of it. They hated it. They couldn't stand it. So Jesus, he tells them three stories. The, uh, the both the first two stories are, are meant to point to the fact that, that, hey, understand this, Pharisees, that when a repenter comes to faith in Christ, that God rejoices, that heaven rejoices. And the first half of this story is the same type of story in the prodigal son, that when this prodigal son came back to the father, that the, the, the family, including the father, they celebrate. That's a picture, again, of the fact that God the father He celebrates when sinners come to repentance. And he uses the second half of this story, starting in verse 25, to point out something different that he did not point out in the first two parables. It's this, that you self-righteous sinners, you, you don't celebrate what God celebrates. You don't. You don't. And He's pointing for this. He intends for the for the older brother to represent the Pharisees at this time. And so, what does he say? What's what's how does Jesus continue in the story? Well, he starts identifying that the son was in the field. The the the, the The prodigal son has just come back and there's a party going on in the house, but the son is in the field. The son had stayed home with the father. He didn't leave. He didn't squander the money. You know, he went out and and he worked on that farm. Uh, You know, he was plowing the fields. I don't know what, what ancient Israel uh, farming looked like. I'm guessing he was plowing some fields. He was planting some crops. He was working hard. He was, he was taking care of all the things that needed to be done around the house. He was, he was the responsible son. No one would look at this older son and think, wow, this, this kid's a clown. Everyone from an outward perspective would look at him and think, wow, he's the responsible son that we would all want. He's compliant. He works hard. He doesn't. He doesn't. Quote unquote, outwardly disrespect his father. You could just say he was at home doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was working hard, and as he was working hard, maybe the day's finished. He's done with his work. He just. He's coming. He's sweating, and he and and he kind of walks towards the house, and and he hears something. He hears music. Music. It's it's a little late in the day for some music. But, but but off in the distance he sees the house and he, and he sees people dancing, he sees mu- he hears music he sees dancing he understands there's a there's a there's a party going on, a- a- and he and he wonders what's what's going on, Well we we know from earlier in the in the in the story that again the the father and the whole household is celebrating the fact that the prodigal son came home. And he comes, and he, and he. We didn't talk about this much last week, but but he places garments on him, places a coat, he places a ring, he places he places shoes on him. In other words, like he is he is fully back in the family. Things have been reconciled. He is the son. There's nothing else that stands in between the father and this younger son. Things are good, and so they celebrate, and they celebrate so much that. The father kills not a fattened calf. You understand that? He doesn't he he kill a fattened calf. He, 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 he kills what? The fattened calf. He goes and tells his servants, oh, you know the one I'm talking about. I, I want you to go out to the field and I want you to get the big one. I want you to get Bessie. Go out there and I, I want you to bring Bessie up and we're going to slaughter and we're going to celebrate and we're going to cook this thing and we're going to party like we've never partied before because there has never been any reason to party in this history of this family like today. And so all, all of a sudden the brother, he's coming up, he, sees, he, see, he hears music, he sees dancing and into, into his nose, he, he smells food and he looks over at the grill and what does he see? A giant fattened calf He looks to the the field. He noticed Bessie's gone, and he asks a servant. He says, what is going on here? What is the reason for this celebration? I don't get it. I I, I don't understand. This is a giant party, and why wasn't I invited? Well, we see here that the servant says to to the brother, he says, To the son, he says, "Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound." And how does the brother respond? What's it? What's it say? Verse twenty-eight. It says he was angry. The, the first response from this old, old, older brother, from his younger brother, coming back home and, and, and living, leaving his life of sin and coming back to the family is not celebration. It's not even questioning. It's just anger. Just straight-up anger. In fact, he, he is this word for, for angry, it means that he's full of anger. He is enraged. He's not just a little irritated. He's not just a little jealous. Anger is consuming this young man. He's sitting there thinking, oh, what this, what this punk did to our family, what this punk did to our father. He doesn't deserve a party. He is completely enraged. Now understand this, friends. There is a point that there could, there could have been you, know, you you might think okay we deserve to be mad. I mean because the because the younger brother actually really did sin against the family. It's okay to be angry if someone sins against you. I don't want to put that burden upon you. It's okay. There you know there could have been a righteous anger that the older brother felt. He could have felt grieved and offended because of how his father was treated. Ephesians 4:26 seems to point to a type of anger that isn't sinful. And I don't know what it is, because I've probably never felt it. But the Bible leaves room for a righteous type of anger. Okay? However, if that was the case, if he did truly have righteous anger... Righteous indignation. If he really did, the older brother might have approached the younger brother in the house and asked him to repent or seek forgiveness from the father. He would have come in and had a conversation and, and dealt with it and sought for reconciliation. That probably would have been the type of thing that he did. However, this older brother was not righteously angry. If he was righteously angry, he would have truly cared about repentance, forgiveness, Reconciliation, if he was truly righteous, he would have celebrated the fact that this younger son came in and did repent and did was reconciled to the family. He would have celebrated that if he was truly righteous. But he wasn't. He was not a righteous older brother. He was a self Righteous older brother. And again, Jesus is telling the story of this older brother to paint a picture of self-righteous Pharisees. The Pharisees, as we've studied through Luke so far, do you realize this? They're never, ever, 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 ever celebrating what Christ is doing. Not one miracle, not one healing, not one sinner saved, not one life changed, nothing. They celebrate nothing that Christ does. What always characterized the Pharisees? Anger. You read that. Anger, anger, anger. And here's the thing. It wasn't it wasn't righteous anger. They were always angry about the wrong things. You know Jesus heals a man And and the Pharisees are angry because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. Jesus wasn't working. Jesus was not violating the law. Jesus Jesus might have been violating their man-made rules and their man-made regulations that they made up. But Jesus was completely righteous. Jesus was completely holy. Jesus did not break the law in any way, shape, or form. They were angry about the wrong things, like Jesus reaching sinners. They, they would read the Old Testament, and they would see that God is nothing but a, 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 a horrible judge. But he won't judge us. And the reality is, we read the Old Testament, and we see God is just so merciful. He is such a merciful God. The, the, the amount of times that he would forgive Israel of their sins. Just, just, just completely merciful. They were angry about the wrong things. And the reality is, they didn't celebrate the right things. They didn't celebrate the fact that sinners were coming to know Christ and repenting of their sins, that there was this tax collector that was, that was repenting of his dishonesty and making things right with those he wronged. They hated that. That, that burned them up inside, so that they would receive grace, that so they would receive a pass on their sins. And as Jesus is telling this story, he is pointing out exactly how self-righteous people relate to God. They simply do not celebrate the things that God celebrates because the things that God celebrates are threatening to their self-righteous sin. It's threatening to them. It's threatening to their system. They do not celebrate it because they do not truly celebrate God. Only themselves. Have you ever met a joyful, self-righteous person? Have you ever? They are not happy unless they are the ones being celebrated. They refuse to celebrate anything else unless it's them. And this older brother should have celebrated what made his father happy, what made his family happy. The people of God in the gospel should have celebrated what made God happy. Sinners coming to repentance. This is what children do. They celebrate what their father celebrates. I don't know if that's how it is in your house. It's how it is in mine. I've shared this with you before. Whenever we watch sports together, one of my favorite questions that my kids come to me and ask, they say, Dad, which team are we cheering for? Which team? Because, Dad, whatever you say, whatever makes you happy, whatever you celebrate, I'm celebrating we're sitting in a Mexican restaurant, there's a game on. I'll just pick a team, and that's who we're celebrating. Why? Because they want to celebrate what dad celebrates. Now, I never imposed that upon them. I was never like, you kids better celebrate only what dad celebrates. But the reality is, because they're my kids, that's what they want to do. It's natural to who they are. They love Chick fil A. And when we see Zaxby's kids, what do we say? You think I'm lying? We see a Zaxby's billboard. We see a Zaxby's commercial. We see a Zaxby's uh, cup on the on the on the sidewalk with his "boo." Why? Because Daddy loves Chick Fil A. That's what kids do. It's what God's children do. God's children celebrate what God. Celebrates. In the same way, those, those who have been saved by grace alone and through faith alone and Christ alone for salvation, through the proclamation of, of the gospel, should rejoice when the gospel goes forth and sinners are saved because it makes God happy. In fact, we should rejoice when the Lord is building his church and bringing about revival. Period whether it's through Community Bible Church, whether it's in Liberia, whether, whether it's in Romania, whether it's in Woodstock First Baptist, whether it's in any of these churches or any of these other preachers, any of those pastors, or even anyone in this church, we should rejoice. We get a picture of this in, in Philippians 1, uh, 1, 15 through 18, where Paul highlights where some men, they, they, were, they were seeking to afflict him in prison by preaching the gospel in some of the areas that, that he had been preaching the gospel. And they were trying to afflict Paul. But Paul, in that moment, he, 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 he notes that men were preaching the gospel with selfish ambition, but yet Paul still rejoices because the gospel was going forth. He rejoiced in what God rejoiced at, and regardless of if other people were getting the glory for it. Paul wasn't self-righteous. Paul celebrated in what God celebrated. May the only reward for ministry, Community Bible Church... May, 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 may the only reward that we need in this life be this, that Jesus' name is made more renowned throughout this world. Point two, self-righteous people, they think much of their service and their good works. Point two, self-righteous people think much of their service and their good works. So the father comes out, and in the, the verse twenty-eight, he comes out. It, just notice the graciousness of the father. The father's celebrating, and he sees his son outside throwing a pity party. He's just, you know, he's, he's probably just kicking, you know, he's just kicking the dirt and kicking rocks. He's just, he's just angry and pouting. He's the only one out there. He's not. He's harming no one else but himself. But the father, in his goodness, he comes out and he pleads with him. He entreats him. He tries to reason with his son. Son, come inside, brother. We we just. And calf, do you see how much meat we got? It's gonna be fun. You know, we, we brought the best band in, we got, we got music, it's, it's great. Come inside, what are you doing? And, and the son absolutely goes off on his father. He says, Look. And he's not like, Well, D- dad, look, I just, no, no, no. He puts his finger in his father's face and he says, Look here father, completely disrespectful to his father. And the first thing he says and and why he will not go in to celebrate this act. He says this, look, these many years I have served you. Look how many years I've been in the field. Look how many years I've had early mornings and late nights. Look how many years I've, I've come and I've helped with best. All, all these other things. I've, I've been here while wow, this guy, he was off doing what he was doing. Look at what I, I have been here in the land doing it. He thought much of himself. He thought, I mean, no, no matter the fact that, that he's sitting here dishonoring his father right now, He's, 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 he's putting his works on display for see, And this is exactly how the Pharisees were. Exactly how they were. They were constantly focused on their outward righteousness. Like Jesus in the parable, uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he tells the crowds, dear friends, I, I know you're looking at the Pharisees and thinking that, that these guys are the standard of righteousness, but your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're not as righteous as as you think they are. This reminds me of of Luke 18. We haven't got there. We'll get there in a few months. But Luke 18, 9 through 12, Jesus tells another parable. He says in in, 18, 9, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Sound familiar? That, That they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Very applicable to this morning. Jesus says two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Why? Why? Not because the grace of God has changed them. Not because the spirit of the living God is within them, transforming. Not that they've been bought by the blood of Christ or anything like that. Of course, Christ did not die at that point. They weren't different because of what God did. What do they point to? Why are they different? Because I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. I'm different because of me. I'm different because of I. Maybe you've seen this video going, going about social media this past week. It comes around every time this year, but it's a um, Alistair Begg. It's a, it's, a, it's a little short excerpt of a sermon that he did on Easter a few years ago about the, the thief on the cross next to Christ. And, and he points to this, this moment. He just asked this question. If God were to ask you why I should let you into heaven, what would you say? And he says, if you start your sentence with the word I, you've got it all wrong. It's not because I had good works or I had faith or I did anything, but because of what he did, because of what God did, because of God's grace, because God chose me in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. That I should be holy and blameless before him. That God adopted me as his son. That Christ died on the cross for my sins. That he regenerated me. That's the difference. The difference isn't me. The difference isn't you. It's all God. In his sovereign, loving grace, we have no room to boast about anything. Church, do you understand that? Do we really? What do we do? We boast, don't we? We boast. We boast in our good works. We love outward expressions of righteousness, just like the Pharisees. We love putting our works on display for all to see. We love putting on this facade that makes every single person around us think that we're something we're not, even though in our hearts maybe we know we don't love the Lord at times, or maybe today you don't you, you don't love the Lord at all, and you're not even pretending. Imagine imagine a man with me. Imagine a man who has a reputation as a family man. Everybody at his work, they they, they know he's a family man. Everybody at the ball field, they know he's a family man. He's constantly the guy who leaves work right on time to to head home to his family. Five o'clock, I'm gone, and you know where I'm going, everybody. Going home to see the wife and kids, I'm going. He hops in the car. And that is that is exactly where he heads. He heads right back to his house. However, what everyone doesn't know is that when he comes home from work each night, instead of spending the evening with his wife and children, he heads straight for his man cave, where he spends the evening indulging in sports, alcohol, and video games to the neglect, complete neglect, of his family that he had such a great reputation outside of that house, supporting. And perhaps the wife puts up with this charade for a year. Then after a year has passed, the wife finally confronts her husband and his neglect of the family as a whole lovingly. Then the husband, imagine the husband being offended. And starts to remark and defend himself by saying, I'm home every single night. I'm not like those other fathers who are never home with their families. They're always traveling. They're never here. They're always gone. I'm not like them. How dare you? I am in this house present every single night of the week. Well, The wife flabbergasted would not come to her senses and realize that the husband was right. Instead, she would lovingly rebuke her husband and tell him that just because he is physically inside the house, that doesn't mean that he is present in the house. In fact, she rightfully remarks that the husband is as good as the rest of the fathers who are gone because his heart nor his head are presently here with his family. You see that that self-righteousness Husband and father, he fooled every single other person outside of that house. But he did not fool the people that mattered the most. That's the thing about us at times. It's very easy for us to fool one another, isn't it? We can put up a charade. We can do some good works. We can brag about them. We can put them on display for all to see. But your opinion of me doesn't matter. You know what matters? God. He sees you. And he is, not, he is not impressed by outward expressions of righteousness without a heart that loves him. In fact, the Bible says that he hates such expressions. And the problem was, with his older brother, the problem was with the Pharisees. and the problem is, in most of our lives, at times, we can be guilty of outwards outward expressions of righteousness that do not honor the Lord. You see, truly righteous people, they don't think much of themselves. Truly righteous people don't think much of their work. Truly righteous people don't think much of their ministries. Truly righteous people don't think much of their preaching. Truly righteous people don't think much of their parenting. Truly righteous people don't think much of their church attendance. Truly righteous people don't think of what they're wearing this morning. They don't. Truly righteous people think much of the work of Christ. And they're satisfied in that. And their hope is in that. Their hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ, the solid rock, I stand all other ground. My work, my reputation, my effort, my money, period. All of it is sinking sand. Point three. Self-righteous people, they ignore their own sin and right after he, he tells the father, he says, look, these many years I've served you. I, I've ser- I've been here, Dad. I've been working, and you know what? I never, <laughs> I never disobeyed your command. Isn't that funny? Do, do, do you see the I mean do you see the irony here, friends, this morning? Do you see the irony in this comment, this comment by this older brother? The comment is so ironic because the father is literally exhorting his son to come inside and celebrate what the family's celebrating, and here the son won't obey him. (laughs) He refuses. Oh, but yet he stands in his comment. He will not change. I never disobeyed your command. I have always honored you. Really. It really looks like it. And quite honestly, this was the attitude that the Pharisees walked around with. They were keenly aware of the sins of others, but were absolutely blinded by their own sin. They are blinded. That's why Jesus in Luke 12, like we preached a couple months ago, he, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of such people. Beware of such religion that, that makes much of the sins of others, that pretends that you're something that you're not. You have a PhD in the sins of others, and you're completely ignoring your sin. But this is what self-righteous people do, isn't it? This is what we can often do, all of us. We create a world where the biggest sins in that world are the ones that we are least likely to commit. The biggest things are the ones that I don't struggle with, but the ones that I do struggle with in this said world that I've created for myself and for everybody else and all these expectations. Well, well, those sins should remain hidden. Why? Because everybody sins, right? (laughs) Because we're all sinners and and don't judge me. That's what we do at times. But everyone else's sin up here for the whole world to see. Hide ours. You see, self-righteous people, They're very quick to condemn and they're very, very, very slow to repent. Show me someone who loves the Lord and I'll show you someone who is aware of their sin and confesses it. Doesn't hide it. Doesn't ignore it. Doesn't make excuses for it. Does it doesn't minimize it in any way, shape, or form. We simply confess it to our loving Father. When I mean, His Word has told us that it's already paid for. Why? Why would someone who loves the Lord confess their sin to the Lord? Because they've already experienced the faithfulness of God in their life. They've already experienced the peace that he gives, the joy that he gives, the forgiveness that he gives. And they know that, that God is reliable in this, in, in this sense, that he is a loving, gracious father who gives mercy to his children. We don't come home li- like the prodigal son saying, God, I, I just, I, I'm not fit to be a son. I, 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 need to, I need to just beg and beg and beg and beg and beg. No! He's already forgiven us in Christ Jesus. We come confessing because the word calls us to confess and we know that, that, that Christ works in it to change us and to sanctify us and make us like Christ and to constantly experience the forgiveness that he offers. You see, righteous people, they don't go around saying, God, I've never disobeyed your command. Rather, they know. They know that they're wretches. They're and their only righteousness is found in Christ alone. And righteous people desire to be changed by the Lord. Those who have trusted in Christ and the Holy Spirit is living inside of them, their desire is this, to be changed by the Lord. That's our goal. We open the Word of God to gaze upon Christ in hopes so that, that the Holy Spirit would increase our affections for Christ and make us more like Christ to the glory of Christ. In fact, that is the goal of this moment, isn't it? But let me ask you today, as we, as we gather as God's people, as the Word of God is, is opened and the Word of God is preached, as the word of God is sung, as, as we pray, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, friends, let me ask you this this morning. As you, you, you know, whether you're part of Community Bible Church or you're a guest, let me ask you this. Do, do you stand here as a critic? Is that your goal this morning? Is that your mindset as I'm preaching this sermon right now? Are you sitting here as a critic? I really want you to ask yourself that question. Just being critical of the time, critical of the length of the sermon, critical of the things I say, critical of the things I don't say, critical of the volume of the music, critical of the taste of the crackers, critical of the babies that are singing, or making noise to the glory of God, amen? Critical of tone, Critical that I didn't somehow point out your favorite aspect of the text. Here's the reality. Many of us come to church on a Sunday morning for the word of God to be preached to sit in the seats of self-righteous critics, myself included. God, help us. God, help us. May we be a church that repents of such haughty, self-righteous Attitudes that don't bring God glory. God hates such attitudes. Should we strive for truth? Absolutely. Should we fight for truth? Absolutely. Should we, we, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. But when we sit as critics week after week after week after week after week after week, don't give me that charade that you're fighting for truth self-righteous attitudes. Rather, when we sit here, we should be praying like David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, as as Brian, or Matt, or Tom, or Doug, or Dave, or James, or Levi, or Pat, or anybody else is up here in this pulpit preaching, and the word of God is open and proclaimed, and whether we're killing it, or whether it's a dud, we're praying, because the word of God is preached, whatever it is, Father, Holy Spirit, reveal Christ to me. Reveal my sin. And I want to know that you are a gracious and loving God that forgives me of my sin. And I want you to change me this morning. I want to be changed by the power of the Spirit every morning Sunday after Sunday. Period. Period. May we not just gloss over and ignore our sin. That is a self-righteous attitude. Point four. Self-righteous people downplay God's grace and goodness in their lives. Self-righteous people downplay God's grace and goodness in their lives. Oh, the son, he's just airing out this list of grievances. Don't you love God? The elders, don't you love it when people come and they got their list of grievances? The father here, he's getting this this list of grievances. and, And I'm telling you, you know what God doesn't love? God doesn't love our list of grievances. He just doesn't. Hear this, But here this son, he, he says, you never gave me a young goat. <laughs> Little Billy goat. He never, you never gave me nothing. You gave him Bessie. I don't even get Billy. Here's the reality. We, we, we can't forget after last week. The older brother, he had already received two-thirds of the inheritance. Remember, the father split the inheritance between both sons, and and, and according to the law, the the older son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would get roughly a a third of the the inheritance. The father had already been so incredibly gracious and generous with this older brother, but yet this self-righteous older brother accuses the father of not being generous with him at all. You see, self-righteous people like me, self-righteous people, we constantly forget how God has been so, so, so good to us. We need that reminder every day. Oh, we need that reminder of how just good God has been to us in Christ Jesus Why does this happen? Probably because self-righteous people don't think much of their sin. And they don't see themselves as individuals who are absolutely in desperate need of God's grace and God's kindness. Instead, they are entitled to every good thing in their life because of their stellar character, their good works, and lack of any really damning sin in their life. I don't do the big stuff, therefore I deserve the good stuff. That's how they live their life. Not that bad, I'm pretty good. God, give me your stuff. And one can imagine that the Pharisees, they downplayed the goodness and grace of God in their lives. They weren't gracious people. I mean consider their whole framework consider I mean consider it all they were hoping to to not commit the same sins that Israel committed in the past so so they write these these oral laws that that don't get them anywhere close to the nature of the true law and they pride themselves on these laws these extra fences that God never intended all while at the same time not truly worshiping God with their heart soul mind and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves They had none of that. They got the oral law. They didn't understand the heart of the true law. And that was the problem. But in many circles, they thought they were going to be the ones by their good deeds that could usher in the Messiah. In their minds, these, whether they would admit it or not, their actions displayed such that we aren't really the people who are in need of grace. Sure, I can give you the, the theological answer that we all need God's grace, but, but my actions and my attitude and my spirit, I, not everybody, I, we're, we're not that people. Instead, we're often like this self righteous son that downplays God's grace and goodness in our lives. Reminds me of Veruca Salt. Did that name did I ring a bell for anybody? You know Veruca Salt? Anybody oh you know Veruca Salt anybody seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory I'm talking about the old one, not the not the garbage one that came out like a decade I'm talking about the the the, the o g all right Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Veruca Salt is the one who had the wealthy father who owned the peanut factory and and as Willy Wonka, he sends these golden tickets all throughout the, all throughout the world for for people to get a chance to come into his his chocolate factory, and everybody in the world wanted them. You know who wanted them the most? Veruca Salt. And if you remember the scene in the movie, um, Veruca Salt's father, in his peanut factory, he had all of his workers 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, opening boxes of chocolate. Like He's dedicated his whole business and all of his crew and all of his money and all of his resources into finding this golden ticket for his bratty daughter. And you, and if you'll remember in the scene, you can go look it up today. The, the, the daughter of Ruka Salt, she's, she's sitting in the office looking down upon all these workers that her father is paying to provide for us to somehow maybe get this golden ticket. And here she's sitting here saying, but daddy, you never do anything right for me. I want a golden ticket now. And she starts doing, he starts doing all, all this stuff. And, and the dad just keeps pleading with her, like, do you not see what I'm doing? And, you know, a minute passes and no one still has found it. And she, ultimately she says this. She says, you're a mean daddy. You never give me anything that I want. End quote. And we laugh. And we, and we watch the movie and it's easy for us to get annoyed with a little brat like Veruca Salt. However, church, if we're honest, far too often we treat God with just as much dishonor and disrespect. You're a mean God who never gives me anything that I want. You're holding back, God. I know what's good for me. You don't. I'm sovereign. You're not. I'm righteous. You're not. I know it's good, you don't. That's the heart of a self-righteous person that downplays the goodness of God in their lives. Friends, again, we need to be reminded every day of God's goodness and grace in our lives and not succumb to this idolatrous temptation that we all have at times, to question God's goodness. Finally, point, or point five, not quite finally yet, sorry. Point five, self-righteous people, Question the character and justice of God. Self-righteous people question the character and justice of God. The son brings his final indictment against his father. He says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. It is at this point in the interaction between the older son and his father where his true problem is revealed. The, the older son's problem was not with the younger son. The younger son's or the older brother's problem was not with what the younger son did. How he squandered the money, how he dishonored the family. The older son's problem was with the father. That was the problem. And because he had a problem with the father, he, he starts just throwing accusations. This son of yours, this son of yours. In other words, I, I'm a, I know he's my brother, but I'm no longer identifying with him as my brother. I'm too, I'm too good for that. He's your son. And he's devoured your property with prostitutes. And here's the problem, Dad. You killed the fattened calf for him. And here's the reality. As I'm the son who's been here present, who's never done anything wrong, who's never dishonored you, who's never done anything to bring harm to this family, who is present here in this land the whole time can I just say something, Dad? That you're unjust. You are not good and you are not just because you know who deserved the fattened calf? It was me. And you're too dumb to see it. You're too wicked to see it, Dad. Oh, you're a hypocrite. You don't know what's good. You don't know you're left from your right. You're a fool, Dad. You're unjust. You're a terrible father. I deserve the fattened calf. This is often the attitude of self-righteous people. The way they respond to sin. The way they respond when they're wronged. The way they respond when life isn't going their way. They they question the character and justice of God. We often think that our grumbling, ungratefulness, bad attitudes, our pity parties, and the like are a result of our circumstances or some other person. However, if we're honest, most of the time, our problem is with God. We treat God as unloving. We treat God as not trustworthy. We treat God as unjust. We treat God as forgetful. In our hearts, we might not verbalize it, but we heap up endless accusations against God as we stew in our self-righteous anger. And it's not an accusation against our neighbor or our situation. Self righteousness, self righteous anger and accusations. It's an accusation against God. Instead, when we are tempted to be angry at God and accuse Him of wrongdoing, we need to open up the Word of God and see just how holy, sovereign, loving, and merciful that He really is, and how hopelessly wretched we are when left to ourselves. Friends, do you see this morning just how big of a deal that self-righteousness is? Do we see how ugly it is? Do we see why God hates it so much? However, there's good news. Point six, finally, God gives grace to the self-righteous. God gives grace to the self-righteous. God doesn't just give grace to the prodigal son. God gives grace to the self-righteous. As the father says, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to, be, to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. At this point in the story, maybe you're like me and you're thinking that the father should have just put, you know, gotten a closed fist and knocked his son right in the mouth. After all that he did for his son and absolutely how embarrassing his son was being right now. He should have dragged his ungrateful son to the city gates and brought him before the elders of the city to deal with. However, he doesn't. Does he? He does not give him what he deserves in that moment. Instead, the father responds with gentleness, love, and mercy to the self-righteous hack. How? How does he do this? The father reminds him of the truth. He reminds him of the truth. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Son, you're right. I I, I didn't just give you a small goat. Older son, you've been present at the estate with me with its full rights and benefits this whole time. It has been yours for the taking. Bessie was yours for the taking. Billy's yours for the taking. The fruit, the vegetables, it's yours for the taking. The lodging, it's yours for the taking, son. You've been here. And now you're accusing me of, of of what? I have been nothing but loving and gracious to you your whole life. There, was, there wasn't a single thing on their property that the father wasn't willing to give his older son. As we consider the fact that the story was told to the unrighteous, hypocritical, God-hating Pharisees, we must remember they spent nearly their whole lives in Israel participating in life at the temple learning the Torah and the synagogues, participating in the feasts. Of all the people in the entire world, these are the people that God had blessed with His common grace more than anyone else. And because of, of their dedication to studying the Old Testament, they should have known God's plan for salvation. They should have known that God's people would not be saved by their own works or effort, but rather in spite of their works and efforts. They should have understood that God would send the Messiah to take the wrath of God on their behalf. However, because of their sin, because of their blindness, because of their self-centeredness and self-righteousness, they failed to truly see Christ for who he really is. Therefore, they missed out on the heart of God. They missed God's saving grace. They missed his mercy. They missed his compassion. Instead, they crafted a God in their own image, and it was a God that looked like them. Therefore, they certainly wouldn't celebrate a sinner coming to faith in Christ. They wouldn't celebrate sinners repenting. They had no love for holiness because they had no love for God. As Jesus highlights the Father's mercy in this story, we are reminded that this father forgave the prodigal and self-righteous sons at great expense to himself. That's what that father did. He offered mercy to the prodigal son, and he offered mercy to the self-righteous son at great expense to himself. This story is meant to show us how our God, forgave and saved us, had great expense to himself, and sending the second person of the Trinity to put on flesh and dwell among us. Christ humbled himself, and he lived among his creation. He was mocked, he was scorned, he was betrayed, he was abandoned, he was falsely accused, yet he was completely righteous. The false accusations against him led him to the cross where he would be tortured for hours upon hours. And he was crucified between two criminals who deserved to die in such a shameful way. And even as the crowds continued to mock the the sinless Lamb of God, Jesus pleaded with a father saying this, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. At that point, he gave up his spirit. He died. He was buried. But on the third day, friends, On the third day, Jesus defeated death once and for all, arising from the grave. And through his death and resurrection, all of those who trust in Christ, from the most wretched, self righteous sinner to the most vile racist, all who trust in Christ will indeed be justified. Sanctified and adopted into the family of God by his grace alone. And that is all because he is risen. Because he is risen. Church, this is worth celebrating. May we not be like the older brother, who could not celebrate the one who was dead, but now is alive. May we be a people who go out today rejoicing because God's son was dead. And now he is alive. And its implications are the most incredible thing in this entire world. May we rejoice, Community Bible Church.